There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, Geico has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to Geico. It's obviously a good idea. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Taco Supremo. And now, the writings of death row inmate, serial killer, and serial sodomizer, Carl Panzerum, before he was hanged until he was dead, September 5th, 1930. Quote, I've been mixed up in every kind of crooked deal there is with every kind of crook there is. Con men and gang men, prowlers and boosters, stick-up artist and can-opener artist, and sometimes even face artist. Beater men, box men, paper hangers, crepe hangers, hustlers, rustlers, pimps and McGimps, hookers from the big town, hookers from the sticks, big shots, pikers, dynamiters, sodomiters, fruiters and poofters, dingbats and gay cats, shiv men and gun men, needle bumpers and snow snifters, hop heads, jug heads, wise guys and dumbbells, bootleggers, rum runners, wolves and gunzals, dips and short car gamblers, home guards and boomers, booze fighters, cop fighters, and last but not least, muzzlers and guzzlers. So we got a new Taco Supremo. Thank you so much. Her name is Tess, T-E-S-S. Hey, Tess. And it's weird because she actually emailed me asking for the Patreon. So obviously she is still like in the middle of our episodes. She's starting from the bottom. But it's kind of weird because I think it was last episode we talked about or I talked about America and how it wasn't the greatest country in the world. Remember that? Yeah. Do you remember what I said was the greatest country? Didn't you say like Finland or something? I think I said, quote, it's like Sweden or some shit or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Tess is coming to us from Sweden. What up, Tess? You're our first Swedish, I think. Yeah, so I basically used uh, a secret on that one. Mm -hmm. The law of attraction. Nailed it. See the secret, guys. It's not just for parking spaces. It's also for Supremos. It works. So I don't think she's going to hear this for a while because I think she is starting from the bottom. And 
She's probably like halfway through our episodes now. So see you next year. Yeah. Future tests. <laughs> when you hear this, thank you so much for becoming a uh, taco supremo. We're very, very grateful for your support. Yes. Yes, we are. So I've been waiting to do this story for such a long time. Yeah. You've uh, been working on this case for a couple weeks now. This is one of those stories that I, uh, definitely had to find the book for but it's not really the book per se it's the guy's autobiography so he wrote all the stuff we're going to read tonight while he was sitting on death row oh about to get hanged was he hanged yeah he was hanged on september 5th 1930 oh i this is an older case so we're putting this out on the day this guy died, or close to it anyway. And his last words, his final words before he died was, quote, hurry it up, you Hoosier bastard. I could hang a dozen men while you're fooling around. And then they dropped the floor and he fell to his death. Oh, I thought it was Hoosier. I thought that was a Canadian. So this is the guy right here, Carl's Panzeram. What a nationality do you think his name comes from? Austrian. No, he's German. Oh, dang, I'm so close. Which kind of fits this guy's character, and you'll see what I mean. He also went by the name Jeff Davis, Carl Baldwin, Jack Allen, Jefferson Baldwin, Jeff Rose, John King, and John O'Leary. Those are some pr- very widespread yeah. names. And, and, to honor, and to honor Mr. Pandrum, we're drinking... His favorite cocktail tonight. We're going to take a shot of whiskey just for him as we're Uh, putting this out on his death day. Oh, I hate whiskey. There's only two things in this world that he cared about, and one of them was whiskey. What was the second? Oh. So that that one's dedicated to you, Pandrum. Uh, He died, what, 90 years ago. Ninety years ago, you were hanged, bid. You were hanged till you were dead. Oh my God, I hate whiskey. You were hung from the neck until you were dead. <laughs> Carl Panzerm, his two favorite things in life. One of them was whiskey. The other one is sodomy. Oh, <laughs> that was not what I was expecting you to say. Uh, I thought you were going to say like women or. Oh, no, actually, this guy murdering is, even, you know, it's a true crime podcast. This guy uh, stayed far away from the women. Oh, OK. Wasn't expecting that. Now, like I said, what we're reading tonight is from his own words. He has a fifth grade education, but he started writing a lot in prison and a prison guard which you will see, his name is Lesser. His last name is Lesser. He was the only one that Carl Panzerum didn't want to murder. And they were kind of friends. The only friend he's ever had. They made kind of a deal that Carl Panzerum would start writing his autobiography, and then he would pass it off to this prison guard, Lesser. So if this is your first episode, be sure to go to talkmurder.com. I'm putting all the sources. You don't want to miss this guy, Carl Panzram. He's a monster, a legit monster. He, he looks super huge in on that book cover. Yeah. Like beefy huge. Beefy huge. Or, like, six, or like he's like a bodybuilder huge. Yeah. Over six feet tall and just completely ripped. 
Anyway, what you're going to be reading tonight is from Carl Panzram. He wrote his autobiography and he gave it to the prison guard Lesser, as I talked about. In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 male human beings. For all of these things, I am not the least bit sorry. I have no conscience, so that does not worry me. I don't believe in man, God, nor devil. I hate the whole damned human race, including myself. Yeah, and you're going to see what he means when he says he hates the whole damned human race. So why would I like it's so hard to believe why a prison guard would be so nice to him. You know, well, so seems like kind of a mean guy. No, he's a very mean guy. But here's the thing. Back in that time period, prisons were basically torture camps. Right. And they would work all day, break big rocks into little rocks, and they had chain gangs and stuff like that. Especially in the like South, in, they had uh, chain gangs. Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That was what it was like. Right. So, they all got ripped in that movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> so he was constantly beat and tortured. And then this guy, Henry Lester, he comes on the scene. Now, he's only been a prison guard for nine months, and... He sees Carl Panzerm getting tortured, and he feels bad for him. Mm. And not only does he feel bad, but he's kind of sick to his stomach that these guards did that to him. Hmm. And that prison guard is the only reason we have this autobiography and that people know Panzerm's story. Because this is a, a crazy story. And if it wasn't for his kindness, the prison guard, then we wouldn't know the story. Anyway, I'm going to play you a little clip right now, kind of jumping forward a little bit. But this is the prison guard. This is in the 70s after he was a professor for, I don't know, like 50 years or something. He was doing an interview talking about his friendship with Carl Panzerum and the reason they became friends to begin with. They always had a canteen where you could buy uh, smokes, uh, sweet stuff and so on. So, uh, and I told the Tierman, Tiersman, to uh, take a dollar into him uh, because uh, I knew he had no money. And uh... So this is the prison guard right here. This is Henry Lesser. This video is from the San Diego State University. You can see he's an old man here. Mm-hmm. And this panel around him, they're basically asking him questions about this guy because the book just came out a few years before. And by uh-huh. the book, I mean the autobiography that Carl Panzerum wrote. Did he help get that published? Yeah, exactly. So he is the one that received the manuscript before Carl was put to death. Got it. Now, if the book itself is called Panzerum, a journal of murder, and it's got the two authors, Gaddis and Long, they were the uh, copywriters, if you will, that filled in the backstory of Carl Panzerum. Got it. But Lesser, Henry Lesser, is the one that brought the manuscript into publication. But the book is majority of Panzerum writing this in prison. And it's mm-hmm. a fantastic read because not only does it go into his murderous past and all his crazy travels, he also talks about the prison system he talks about why criminals are the way they are and i agree with a lot of his stuff he says like what uh for instance 
he believes that criminals are made from society. They're not born. And he had a trouble upbringing and stuff like that. And then he went through all these prisons, which I'm about to show you. He was tortured, beaten, and stuff like that. So he was made the animal he became. Mm. But he talks a lot about that. And during this time, there was a big push for prison reformation. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but I don't want to get bogged down too much in that. But basically, the reformation was laxing the torture methods in the prison giving them better food yeah exactly no more working camps better food recreation stuff like that they always had a canteen where you could buy uh, smokes uh, sweet stuff and so on so uh this man went past the cell went to his cell and said uh carl there's a guard here henry lesser sent in a uh dollar to you and he uh, got very excited and, and uh, used a great many expletives. said, uh, what the hell are you trying to do? Kid me? Christ's sakes. A God interested me, send me a dollar. Cut it out, will you? And uh, this man uh, assured him that that, that happened. So Panzram said to this man, uh, how long has he been a God? And uh, the person uh, replied, oh, about nine months or a year. And Pans Ram retorted, wait, wait, he's here another year, year and a half, he'll be just as bad as the rest of them. But that didn't happen. He was, Henry Lester was actually disgusted about how the prison inmates were getting treated. So a lot of the book is about that. And I don't want to go too far into that. We're just going to talk about this guy's upbringing, how he got to be. The guy he was. Yeah. So Carl Panzerin was born June 28th, 1891. Quote, I have been a human animal ever since I was born. That's what he says. He grew up in a small town in Minnesota. Both his parents were German immigrants. Okay. Yeah. So they came over from Germany. This was during the Homestead Act type of thing where you can work a land for a certain period of time and then be granted to you, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. So they came over. And at the time, there's a lot of immigrants coming over because it was the American dream. However, that dream was pretty much a dream for most people. And that was it. Mm -hmm. These immigrants mostly were in abject poverty the whole time. And Carl Panzerum's family was no exception. They were in intense poverty. He said his parents were both, quote, hardworking, ignorant, and poor. He had five brothers, one sister. He was the youngest child. His father, John Panzerum, was tall, violent, and he had a walrus mustache. He kind of does, too. Yeah. He was from East Prussia, and he actually fought in the Franco-Prussian War. Uh, So Prussia is today, what is it today? Germany. Germany. There you go. Germany, like Prussia was Germany, Austria, and Hungary, I believe. So the family chased the American dream. They bought a farm, but it failed. The The farm was actually auctioned off. Oh. The parents ended up getting divorced, if you want to call it oh. that. Basically, the dad just leaves when Carl was about seven, leaving the mom with all the kids there. Basically, life for Carl Panzerum and his brothers was this. Go to school during the morning times. Get back and work in the fields on the farm until, until it was dark. early, early yeah. morning. 
one in the morning and oh, then do it God. all over again. The first time he was arrested was at eight years old because <gasps> he was drunk. At age 11, he had his first prison stint. And from then on, he would stay in jail and break out for the rest of his life. Interesting that he was charged versus the parents. That's what would happen today. Now, this is Henry Lester talking about Carl Panzerm growing up, actually had surgery. He had a mastoid operation. And Carl Panzerm himself actually questioned if his lack of conscience was due to this illness as a child. And we see that a lot in serial killers. They had some kind of traumatic fall when they were a kid. They banged their head. It's always the head injury. And now they're serial killers and stuff like that. Well, do you think that Carl would have had the same perception of himself as we have after finishing reading the book, that he was a product of early brutalization starting at age eight that could be documented from the book and to the day he was finally executed. Would he agree with that? I, uh, I, I don't know really, but as you recall, uh, when he was uh, age nine or so, uh, he was operated on for mastoid trouble. And uh, this was in a rural area. Chansart was a uh, general practitioner, you know, and perhaps under unsanitary conditions. Of course, years, years afterwards, he had the discharge from his ear. And he himself wondered, he used to say to me, I wonder if that has something to do with it. Hmm. So uh, when he read in the paper that uh, there's going to be a symposium, psychologists, psychiatrists, so on, he, he would almost, uh, he urged me very strongly to go try to find out why he was the monster that he was. He had an inquiring mind, knew something was wrong. And then I uh, wrote Dr. Frank Irwin years afterwards uh, about Pan's Ram, about this operation and the discharge, and, uh, and he wrote, uh, among other things, that it could have been uh, this infection in the brain, among other things, that could have had something to do with his temper tantrums, you know, getting excited, losing his head, mm. so on, and his assaults, so on. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it may be a correlation there. At 11 years old, he runs away. He runs away from his farm life. He jumps on a train, but he gets caught leaving the state and he's badly beaten and he's sent to Minnesota State Training School. Now, this is a picture of that school. Ooh, creepy. It's basically Looks like a, the Adams Family House, right? Yeah, it does look like the. Oh, my God. It so looks like the Adams Family House. So he goes to Minnesota State Training School, quote, where I began to learn about man's inhumanity to man. End quote. If you see the picture right here, I'll put these on talkmore.com. It's kind of hard to see, kind of blurry, but these are all the students. They are very strict and subjected to strict discipline. Now, this is where Panzerum started being tortured and abused by the staffers. Basically, this reform school and all the reform schools around the country at this time especially in Minnesota State Training School, you would get Jesus Christ forced in your head all day, every day. Mm. And then in this school, particularly, you would get Jesus forced into your head and other things forced into your butt. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is where Carl Panzer was first raped. Well, no wonder why he was into 
you know, sodomy. Was he raped by a fellow classmate no, or by an authority a, by figure? By an authority, <gasps> authority figure. Now, this is a, one of the things called the paint shop. The paint shop is where you would become black and blue. That's what he talks about. Oh. He actually he actually blew up this paint shop with some oil rags. and I, I don't know too. how much it cost, but it, the whole building blew up. <gasps> And uh, deserve it. They never, so. they never, uh, they never figured out that it was him for doing it. Oh, it and I'm gonna it. read this. This is from his own words. They used to have a large wooden block, which we were bent over and tied face downward after being stripped naked. Then a large towel was soaked in salt water and spread on our backs from the shoulders to the knees. Then the man who was to do the whipping took a large strap about a quarter of an inch thick by four inches and about two feet long. This strap had a lot of little round holes punched through it. Every time that whip came down on my body, the skin would come up through these little holes in the strap. And after about 25 or 30 times of this, little blisters would form and then burst. And right there... And then hell began. The salt water would do the rest. About a week or two later, a boy subjected to this might just might be able to sit down. Why would they do this? And I'm not going to get too much into this, but at this time, if you were a fuck up, is because you didn't have enough Jesus in you. And this is just what they did. To this people is what who they did. This is Jesus? before the prison reformations. Jesus, so you look Jesus. at a prison today, you know, they have decent food. It's still shit. But back then, they literally had dog shit to eat. Okay. They got tortured all day. They worked in these camps all day. It was brutal. Real brutal. And then the prison reformations came about and America started giving prisoners, you know, more leniency and stuff like that. So so but this was a, the type of place where he, he had already been to like a juvenile prison. Well, this is a juvenile prison. He's still a teenager. Oh, this is a prison. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's like a military camp for teenagers. Got it. Okay, it's that's like, what, um, OK. Yeah. yeah, it's like DJJ, uh, delinquent Juvenile justice yep. kind of thing. Oh my god! And yeah. so they were. He he was sodomized there as well by an authority figure. Yeah, and this is where he says that at the time he started thinking and learning for himself. Everything I seemed to do was wrong. I first began to think that I was being unjustly imposed upon. Then I began to hate those who abused me. He is not lying when he says he hates the entire human race. You're going to see he actually planned out the extermination of the entire human race. (laughs) It's crazy. He he was before his time, just slightly before Hitler. (laughs) I know. And he's German, too. It's kind of weird. Did I notice on the on the cover of the book that he had the German eagle on his chest tattooed? Um, I don't think it's the German eagle. It says liberty and justice. It hmm. may be the German eagle. It looks more like an American, American eagle. eagle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is American. Um, he's just got two German parents. Interesting. But yeah, that's his tattoo. I kind of want that tattoo, actually. 
It's got two eagle heads. Go talk more.com. I'll put and that picture on there. As long as you're sure it's the um, an American eagle, not a German eagle. Naturally, I now love Jesus very much. Yes, I love him so damn much that I would like to crucify him all over again. So at this time, he's 14 years old. He's got some anger issues there at 14. Well, I mean, he's been beaten and put in the paint shop. And not only that, this is before he actually knew that you could do other things with a penis. What do you mean other things? Like masturbating? He examined my penis and rectum, asking me if I ever had committed fornication or sodomy or had ever sodomy committed on me or if I ever masturbated. He explained in detail and very, very thoroughly just what he meant by these things. He who? The the examination guy at the school. The, the like, quote unquote doctor? The doctor, yeah. The doctor God. doing his physical. Now, this Reminds is... Reminds me of Athlete A. This is when he began to rebel. He started to, for instance, when he was serving food to the staffers, to the officers, you know, that was his... He had KP kitchen duty. He would serve the food, and they would probably notice the, the soup would be a little salty because he would urinate <gasps> in the soup... He would urinate in their coffee, tea, and then he would even masturbate into their ice cream. Oh! <laughs> oh my God, I'm so glad we didn't eat ice cream tonight. <laughs> That's probably why I wanted ice cream reading this. And then he would stand by and watch them eat it. He served two years in this torture camp for kids. I mean, I ain't gonna lie. I mean, it's not like I have like juice to squirt, you know, but... I don't blame him for being treated like he was, you know. Fuck it. I'd do something similar. Quote, I had learned more about stealing, lying, hating, burning, and killing. I had learned a boy's penis could be used for something besides to urinate with and that a rectum could be used for other purposes than crepitating. This is another one of those <laughs> um, cases similar uh, to um, the Annihilator, right? It was yeah. the Annihilator where, like, I, I don't think he was gay. I think he, like, this is just what, the product of his environment. Well, this guy, Carl Panzerm, is a homosexual. You sure? I'm positive. Well, at least that's Well, what, this is what we had said about the Annihilator, too. Well... This is why I say that, because the prison guard, Henry Masser, in this interview, claims that he's homosexual. What do you think was Panzram's primary motivation for committing all the killings and, and rapings and, and the other crimes he's done? It was, it was what? I mean, what, what was his primary motivation for committing all these crimes? Well, perhaps it was a mixture of things. He was a homosexual. And very often he committed a sodomy on them and then killed them afterwards. And then with this, uh, these three boys, especially this boy, uh, Salem, Massachusetts, McMahon boy. And one night he was out there and the, there was a, a hospital close by. And one of the nurses came along there. And uh, it was a very romantic evening. It was very warm. She had a bottle of booze with her. And uh, they killed that, no doubt. And they had sex relations. And then the later, he said he got the clap. He said he's going back to his boys. <laughs> but it sounded like he kind of maybe enjoyed the female. Yeah, but company. he got the clap. 
So go that's back actually to the, the second time he got um, STD from a woman. But it will probably talk. But again, about that. I don't think that that means that he was gay. Maybe he just this didn't, guy didn't said have he was homosexual. You didn't hear him. Uh, well, this is also the seventies. I don't know. So when he was in that Minnesota school, he was twelve years old, and he was getting raped and tortured. When he was 14 years old, he leaves home for good. He jumps a train. He starts hoboing and and he starts begging for food. One night he was riding and met a few hobos. And this is one of the times he starts to hate the human race because he was nice to him. He said, hey, you know, I'm also a hobo. You know, you all want to hang out or whatever. And they kind of tricked him into coming into their cabin and then they all... They all held him down and violently raped him Ah. right there in the freight train. And he talks about in his uh, writings that that was one of the turning points of why he hates humans so much. Around this time, he learned some important lessons. Number one is force and might make right. That's why he's so big and he works (laughs) out all the time. He is certainly a linguist, you know, in his past passages that you read. He also learned Another important thing is the two things he enjoyed in life. One is whiskey and the other one is sodomy. He sodomizes a lot of people in this story. Over a thousand. So he's 14 now and he's traveling the country on a train. He's basically a stowaway. He's not paying for ticket, obviously. Months later, he was arrested for burglary at Butte, Montana. He was then sent to Montana State Reform School. So same thing Mm. as Minnesota. More Jesus. More and more Jesus in these reform schools. He stayed there for one year before he escaped. They worked me hard and beat me harder. You see, they were trying to make a good boy of me. They took me in the hospital and operated on me by clipping my foreskin off to stop me from the habit of masturbation. So they said anyway. But how the hell they figured that would stop me is more than I can see. I can't yet. Wait, like he was uncircumcised and then they circumcised him? Yeah. Huh. But they said it's because he was masturbating all the time. I think that was like, um, I mean, it, having an uncircumcised penis like was very taboo. Almost. Like, it's unclean. After a year, he escapes with a boy named Jimmy Benson. Jimmy Benson was a stick-up artist. Not much is known about him because they were only together for a month after. But he showed Pandrum how to stick up and how to rob. Not only that, they started robbing poor boxes at local churches. So it's basically like a donation oh. box, like a, almost like a goodwill box you oh, see on the yeah. side of the road. And you put uh, shoes and stuff in there, whatever. They started robbing whatever was in these poor boxes. Not much. But not only that, they added insult to injury. And this was Pandrum's idea. They would burn the church to the ground after they stole from the poor boxes. Oh, my God. And this, now he's 14 at the time. And from this until he's arrested and put in prison forever, he goes on the habit of burning down everything he can see. He's like a pyromaniac. Not only does he burn down farmhouses, chicken coops, sheds, everything, he also shoots random livestock and takes pot shots at farmers when he's riding on the train he sees like a farm 
mm-hmm. would just randomly shoot at the farm, shoot at the animals, try to hit the farmer on the tractor. Just the craziest shit. When he would jump off the train and, and stay in a city for a while, he would burn down the fields. And he was just uh, out of fucking control. Yeah. I mean, he there, there was nothing he wouldn't do. He said, quote, I stayed with Benson for about a month, hopping our way east, stealing and burning everything we could. Christmas 1906, he is 16 years old. He's drinking in a bar in Helena, Montana. When a recruiter comes in and talks to him about the army. Now, Panzerm is... (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Panzerm is drunk out of his mind. He is blitzed, blasted out of his mind. He's 16 years old, which is not even legal to join the army. But right then and there, he signs his life away to the United States Army, and he lies about his age. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. I was going to ask, because you said he he did some time in Leavenworth. And I was yeah. saying, wasn't that only a military prison? So he was 16 years old when he was in the 6th Infantry Regiment. And if you want to read this, this is a quote from him. I was only in the army a month or two when I got three years in the U.S. military prison at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. My general court martial was held at Fort William Henry Harrison in Montana, and my court proceedings were reviewed by then Secretary of War, Mr. William Howard Taft. He recommended me for three years, and he signed them. He actually got caught stealing army issued items this was a month after he signed his enlistment papers he gathers a bunch of stuff rifles ammo everything he could and he tries to walk out of the base and he gets caught by two of the uh you know the gate guards there and he's sentenced to 37 months in leavenworth wow at this time leavenworth was and probably still is not the best place to be, especially at the time. Do you remember that Robert Redford movie when he was yes, at Leavenworth? Yes, that was a great movie. Yeah, so back then, the prisoners actually built Leavenworth with their hands, and that is where the term breaking big rocks to small rocks comes from, is Fort oh. Leavenworth. There he was made to carry a baby, a quote, baby, which was a 50-pound iron ball that was shackled to his ankle and he was required at all times well he couldn't take it off because it was shackled to him he didn't have the key so he had to carry that thing around 
all day with him. It was 50 pounds dragging that thing along. And this is one of the things that made him a beast that he is. <laughs> and as a result, he was ripped. Yeah. Body by Leavenworth. He said, quote, I was six foot tall and weighed about 190 pounds of concentrated, hell-fired, man-inspired meanness. I was as strong as two or three average men. I had to be able to stand some of the punishments and labor that I went through during the three years in the USMP, which is the United States Military Prison. Mm. One of my tasks and punishments while there was to be shackled to a 50-pound iron ball for six months. During that time, I wore that ball and chain day and night, slept with it, and worked with it on. My work was in the rock quarry, and that was about three miles from the prison. The gang of about 300 convicts and 40 screws, which were the guards, screws Ah. or guards, used to march out in the morning and back at night. The other men had nothing to carry except themselves, but my part was to load my iron ball, an 18-pound hammer, a pick and shovel, and a six-foot iron crowbar all into a wheelbarrow and march behind the line of cons out to the rock quarry and there work for about eight and a half cat. Eight and a half hours in the hot Kansas sun, busting big rocks. And after that was all over, to pack my little iron pill and my tools into that Irish buggy and wheel it back to the prison. So he got fucking huge. Like, for real. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Yeah, one... carry a 50 pound thing for three miles. Yeah. Yeah, try to do that, CrossFitters. <laughs> Shit. That's what I've been doing wrong in my workouts. So he was discharged from the prison in 1910. Quote, as the spirit of meanness personified. He hopped a train to Denver, Colorado, and this is where he went to the first red light district he has seen in his life. And Ah. I believe, I believe, because this is, he hasn't talked about sex with a female up until this point in his autobiography. I believe this is the first time he's actually had sex with a female. Got it. I awoke to find myself laying in an alley, feeling pretty sick. I had no gun, no money, my coat, hat, and shoes were gone, but I had a few lumps on top of my head. About a week later, I found that my collection also included a fine first-class case of gonorrhea. (laughs) I mean, maybe he would have enjoyed females if uh, it wasn't for the STDs. You know, that's a bit of a setback. So after he got out of Leavenworth, he ends up in Juarez, Mexico. He actually tries to join the Mexican army, but was denied. And on the way back across the border, he meets and robs an Indian, like an an Indian, like a Native American. Native American. Yeah. He meets this guy. He robs him. He ties him to a tree. He pulls his pants down and sticks a sock in his mouth. And this is what he says. I figured that I would commit a little sodomy on him. This I proceeded to do. Then I invited the Indian to take a ride, but that damn fool was only an Indian. He hadn't received the full benefits of civilization yet like I had, so he declined the honor. He's talking about having sex with him. He declined, though, so I'm assuming he then raped him? I don't know. But he did leave him there tied to the tree, so that poor bastard probably died. Because it was out in the middle of nowhere. 
Panzer then crosses the border again at Del Rio and enlisted in the Foreign Legion of the Constitutional Army of Northern Mexico. He stays there for a month and then he steals a horse and a bunch of army equipment and then he goes AWOL. During this time, he robs chicken coops and burns them down and he steals whatever proceeds he can from them. He would also shoot cattle and random farmers while riding on trains. Basically, at this time, he is an adventurer. He's going by train and going to every city, every big city that he can in the U.S. He cannot find a good home for himself. And he's going, he's robbing all these houses, these farms, and he's burning them down. And he's just living, you know, dollar to dollar. And this is a... this is And in and out of prison the entire time. Or like well, juvie, yeah, yeah. It's really so, juvie up until through now. Well, th- so now he's twenty twenty one years old, right? When he's doing this, right. and and go back to when I said he used all these aliases. I gave you like ten of his yeah. aliases, not even all of his A aliases. Shit ton. So these are when he's using his aliases. I believe like he's about to get arrested, and they arrest him as the name Jeffrey Rhodes. So all of these. Are aliases. So he is traveling. So he'll get arrested in Montana under Jeffrey Rhodes, and they won't know about his other prior crimes, right? And then he'll get arrested as Jason Bridges or whatever it was, and then they won't know about his record. Does that make sense? Yeah. In fact, no one knew that he even murdered anybody until he wrote his autobiography. Oh, wow. They actually had to go verify that everything he was saying was legit and it was they found records of everything like all these deceased people and stuff so was he on death row without even having murdered anybody then like no he was on death row because and i'll get to this but he murdered a prison guard Uh, he was serving i believe 35 years and he murdered a prison guard so he's riding trains across the united states he's drinking whiskey he's drinking whiskey and he's doing his other favorite thing it's very westworld at night, while I was riding the trains, I was always on the lookout for something to shoot at or trying to stick up the hobos that I met. I looked him over, and whenever I met one who wasn't too rusty looking, I would make him raise his hands and drop his pants. I rode them old and young, tall and short, white and black. Made no difference to me. Now, around 2122, he gets 120 days in Fresno, California, under an alias. He was he he stole a bicycle. Mm. And then after that, he gets back on the train and he has an unpleasant encounter with the train brakeman because you're not supposed to be jumping on freight trains and, and riding without the tickets. The brakeman actually spotted him and two other hobos in one of his freight cars and tried to kick him out. But this is what happened. I pulled out a cannon. He offered to buy us all feed and offered to give us a piece of change. He gave me a piece of change, all he had, and he gave me his watch and chain. And then he was so kind as to pull his pants down while I rode him around the floor of the freight car. When I was through riding him, I told the other two bums to mount him, but they declined to indulge in that form of pleasure. But by using a little moral persuasion and much waving around in my pistol, they also rode Mr. Brakeman around. All right, so now... so Ooh, now, he's getting pleasure of, of watching others rape people because he's forcing them to. All right, so we talked about his background. Let's talk about his killing spree. He went on a quite a outrageous 
killing spree. So up until now, they've been mostly like sexual crimes, arson. Like he has, he's progressing. Exactly. If you will. Yeah. Got yeah. It. So we're we're in nineteen. 19- Nine, yeah, exactly. Sorry. 1918 and to 1920. He's okay. 27 years old. He's spent 14 years in prison. He goes to work in New York and he gets a job with the Braden Copper Corporation. And he also works for Sinclair Oil Company. He's a slave driver. The slaves are in Africa and South America, which he visits quite a bit. And he basically whips them, whips them, whips them. And forces them to to work to uh, get the oil out of the ground at their oil rigs there. He is literally a slave driver. Wow. Yeah, exactly. But around this time when he wasn't working, he did come across some serious money. He actually made $40,000 stealing some jewelry and some uh, Liberty Bonds from someone's house now the liberty bonds back then and i don't i don't think they do bonds now when we go to war but back then they you, would release liberty bonds to kind of fund the war you can buy bonds but they're they're not liberty bonds right, though. right. so it, it's actually pretty interesting if you go back in history and look at some of the old newspapers and photos you can see some of the liberty bonds and it it says like uh, support your troops buy liberty bonds you know it basically to fund the war and i don't know how they would pay out, I guess, after the war, they would pay you back right. or whatever. But With interest or yeah, something. But the bonds were to fund the war effort. Pretty uh, genius. Yeah, but I don't think it would work nowadays because ain't nobody going to pay for that. You know, fund the war for Afghanistan. People are like, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah, it's got to be a cause that people are yeah. going to stand behind, like fucking Hitler. Yeah, I think people are pretty sick of it now. So he steals some jewelry and some Liberty Bonds from this guy's house, and he makes 40 grand. And those Liberty Bonds, when he looked at them, it had the name of W.F. Taft, the 27th president of the United States, William (laughs) Howard Taft. William Taft, yeah. Yeah, which was, as you read earlier, William Taft was then the Secretary of War. Remember yeah, you read he the quote? Signed he his signed sentence. exactly to Fort Leavenworth. So, and he didn't know he was stealing from William Taft, the future president. He didn't know that until he was, you know, after he got the bonds and everything. But he also stole his forty-five caliber, which he's going to kill a lot of people with. Did, did I wonder if, like, subconsciously he stole from him out of revenge for his sentence or something? No, he just went to like a random house. Uh, I up guess in, I think up yeah. in New York and was like, "Ah, oh, this yeah. is a nice house." He then buys a yacht. Which you're seeing now, GoTalkMore.com. It's a nice looking yacht. It's called the Akista. It's a very nice sailboat. Yeah. It's not really a yacht. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's sailboat. A, it's a sailboat, yeah. but it's but really nice. But that is a fucking nice sailboat. Yeah. Maybe that's what yachts were back in the day. I don't think they had super yachts yeah, back then. I don't, I don't know. I don't think they had helicopter pads on them. Yeah, exactly. I think this is what a yacht was back in the day. It's really nice. Or a very nice yacht. Yeah. Sailboat. Whatever. So he has this yacht and he devises a plan to hire a bunch of sailors and to go out and rob them and then sodomize them and then shoot them in the head and throw them in the water. I figured it would be a good plan to hire a few sailors to work for me, get them out to my yacht, get them drunk and commit sodomy on them, rob them and then kill them. This I done. 
he would promise some big money. Hey, come out with me, do some fishing. Let's throw some nets out and I'll pay you quite a bit of money. I got a nice yacht here. He would steal a bunch of booze from other yachts and other boats, get them all drunk. And he says, quote, there I would wine and dine them. And when they were drunk enough, they would go to bed. When they were asleep, I'd get my forty-five Colt Army Automatic, this I stole from Mr. Taft's home, and blow their brains out. Then I would take a rope and tie a rock on them and put them into my rowboat, row out into the main channel about one mile and drop them overboard. They're there yet, all ten of them. So, he has a whole boat full of stolen stuff and is worth a fortune, a fortune. Unfortunately, though, he crashes the yacht in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and loses everything. He loses all of his wealth. That sucks. He was literally rich for like uh, five months. (laughs) And he killed 10 people out of that, at least. (laughs) So he gets arrested again, and this is in New York, and he actually skips his bail. They let him out for some reason, probably because he was using an alias. He jumps a ship and goes to Europe. Now he's going to start his international traveling. He goes to the Belgian Congo. He goes to Africa, Angola, which is in West Africa. And this is when he started working for Sinclair Oil. Here he does some pretty sick things to some children. Uh-oh. For instance, he buys a 12-year-old virgin girl from her parents. This is in Africa. The reason I paid such a big price for her was because she was a virgin. Yeah, so she said. She was about 11 or 12 years old, but I demanded my money back, but they gave me another rand younger girl. This girl was about eight years old. So is he saying that he didn't actually think that she was a virgin and he wanted his money back? No, he had sex with her, but he didn't think he was a virgin after he did have sex with her. Yeah, yeah. So they gave him an eight-year-old. He then says that he was done with these virgin girls and he started looking for a boy. And he found one and he educated him in the art of sodomy as practiced by civilized people. Now, this is an African boy. Uh I was sitting there, a little African boy about 11 or 12 years old came bumming around. He was looking for something. He found it, too. I took him out to a gravel pit about a quarter of a mile off the main camp of the Sinclair Oil Company in Luanda. I left him there, but first I committed sodomy on him, and then I killed him. His brains were coming out of his ears when I left him, and he will never be any deader. He is still there today. He really enjoyed seeing brains come out of ears, didn't he? So when he's in Africa, he also buys a ticket on a Belgian steamer. He goes to Lobito Bay, and he hires a canoe of six African slaves, and he goes hunting on the bays for crocodiles he's actually hunting for crocodiles and he says he found them now this is coming this is coming from his own words quote they were all hungry and i fed them i shot all of these africans and dumped them in (gasps) the crocs done the rest i stole their canoe and went back to town tied the canoe to the dock and that night someone stole the canoe from me Holy shit. So it, even when you when you started talking about like the number of people that he killed, it's clearly way more than the number of people he was convicted oh, for. Oh yeah. So yeah, he I think he was convicted of twenty one or twenty two. He's killed way more than that. 
Oh, yeah. These Africans expected nothing. They all had their backs turned to me, and I'm a crack shot. I fired a single shot into each one of these Africans' back, and then reloaded with a new clip and fired another shot into the brain of each one as they lay dying or dead in the bottom of the canoe. Then I threw them all overboard, and the crocodiles soon finished what I had left of them. The canoe was registered in license. It must still be there in existence. If it is, there are two bullets embedded in the wood. One in the bottom near the stern and one on the port side near the middle. This guy wanted to exterminate the entire human race. And I don't think I really drove that point home, but he... Not just anybody. He wasn't particular. human beings. Uh-huh. Hated. Despite him being one. He, no, he hated himself, uh. too. In fact, when he was on death row about to get executed, there was no appeals or anything. He would not have it. He was like, you're going to kill me or else. Like He hated himself. He hated humans. Hmm. And we'll see that in a second. But I want to really drive that point home with something he wrote. And it's pretty, pretty crazy. He says, quote, my intention was to rob, rape, and kill everybody I could, anybody and everybody. It was my intention to commit enough burglaries to get a few hundred dollars together and with that go to a place I had picked out at a railroad tunnel between Mayerside, Pennsylvania, and Cumberland, Maryland. There I intended to wait until a fast all-steel Pullman train, the Capital Limited or National Limited, came along. I intended to have a large contact bomb in the middle of the tunnel, fixed so that when the engine struck the obstruction, the bomb would explode and wreck the engine and block up that end of the tunnel. The explosion would set off a burst some large glass containers of formaldehyde and other gas and also set fire to a, a few hundred pounds of sulfur. The gas fumes thus generated and let loose of the closed tunnel would in a very few minutes kill every little, every living thing on the whole train in the tunnel. I would be stationed at the rear entrance of the tunnel behind the barricade and armed ready to shoot down anyone who had life enough to try to get out of the tunnel. As soon as I was assured that they all were dead, I would put on a gas mask and an oxygen tank, then enter the cars to rob the train. This is what he was planning to do if mm -hmm. he ever got out of prison. Now, this is when he was in prison writing this. And he says, now with unlimited funds in my hands, quote, I then intended to steal millions of dollars and kill millions of people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this I intended to do by starting a war between England and the United States. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what? what? Sounds fantastic, all right. But I am positive I could have done it. I intended to do by waiting until diplomatic relations were somewhat strained between the two countries. Then I would quietly sneak up and sink some great British battleship while in American waters on a peaceful mission. This could be done very easily. All I needed to do would, to would be to wait until some British ship was laying at anchor in the Hudson River, New York. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, how often does that happen? <laughs> Shit. Oh, my God. What? He is fucking out of his mind. Yes. 
100%, yes. He literally wants to start a war between two countries. But, I mean, dude, we could sit here all day and talk about this guy. But I think uh, you got the gist of it, don't you? He cray-cray. So what got him caught? Um, well, he actually got caught for burglary. And then they didn't even know about the murders at all. And then he kills a prison guard. So he was serving 35 years. And for then burglary. He, then he or killed, for other offenses. Yeah, for other offenses and burglary. And then he kills a prison guard oh. very violently. He takes a uh, an iron bar and just starts smashing his head in repeatedly. This guy really didn't have a chance. And that's when... They put him on death row. And actually, he preferred it because it's a more isolated and it suited him better. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to die anyway. This guy hated the human race. So let's talk about how he ultimately was hanged. And it was while he was on death row that he had this interaction with Lesser? No, not while he was on death row. They met before. Okay. And then he was put on death row after they were talking. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, close to the same time. I'm surprised that he was friends when he killed a guard. Jeez. So this is a newspaper clipping. The Evening Star, 5th of September, 1930 is Friday. This is his death day, which is this Friday, actually. Kind of weird. The title is Pan's Ram Ghost, the Gallows Cursing Race, Including Self. It says, quote, a hangman's noose at Leavenworth, Kansas this morning snuffed out the life of Carl Panzram, a man who swore he hated all humanity with a consuming passion, including himself, and who was described by district jail officials as, quote, the meanest man ever held in the district jail. Panzram was hanged for the murder of the laundry foreman at Leavenworth Prison in June 1929. At the time of the murder, Panzram was serving a 25-year sentence for the burglary committed in the District of Columbia. So he was serving 25 years. And this is a, a little quote he said before he died. If you want to read this. I have no desire whatever to reform myself. My only desire is to reform people who try to reform me. And I believe that the only way to reform people is to kill them. The same paper goes on to say a sullen brute of a man who cursed his parents for bringing him into the world and who boasted that he had killed 22 persons during his lifetime. Pan's Ram was Described by Colonel William L. Peak Warden at the district jail as the toughest customer he ever came in contact with. He also says, quote, I hate the whole human race and would like to kill every person in the world. Holy shit. Wow. And and like I said uh, at the beginning, his final words were, hurry it up, you Hoosier bastard. I could hang a dozen men while you're fooling around. And then they dropped them. So that's the Pandram story. What do you think? Holy tits. I mean, I want, it makes me really wonder how much that surgery that he did have p- played a part into his aggression. Um, I mean, it's like he had a lot of things going for him. He had a tough upbringing. He had a, a health issue yeah. where it could have impacted him. And then he's when he does go to jail, like his environment is so brutal it's like he had all of the worst of the worst of things that could have happened happened yeah and i didn't get into a lot of it and because i didn't want this to be more than one parse but 
the book is really good. He is a very... He's smart, you can tell. He's smart, yeah, but he doesn't have a beyond a fifth grade education. He's just well-read. He he reads yeah. like um, Schopner, and uh, I think he reads like Marx, or not Marx, um, what did you say, Immanuel Kant? He reads all those philosophers, and he reads a lot of the... Uh, the uh, the guys that in the time the philosophy of prison reform stuff like that huh. he's actually got a lot of really smart statements that he makes in his autobiography about the reason criminals are criminals in the first place and why the system isn't working his autobiography is well written you know for a guy like yeah. this but yeah it's a really interesting story I wish I could. I didn't want to do more than one part of this, though. So we skipped a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. But Anything that we should know about the the guard here that, that went on to do a lot of interesting things? Like, this clearly changed him, his relationship with Panzerim. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy because if you read more about the guard, that was the only man... That Panzerm wouldn't kill if he got the chance. It's, mm. is yeah. I could say they were friends. You know, he's he claims they were friends. So was he was lesser a big advocate for the prison reform? Yeah, like, he was. Was that, was that like yeah, what his he was. Biggest? So what I didn't get into, and a lot of this book goes into, is the prison reformation. There was this guy named um, what's his name, like Spud something. I can't remember his name. Captain Spud, I don't know. But anyway, he brought, he helped bring in the new prison reformation, stuff like letting the prisoners out. So he he actually let Carl Panzerum leave at night. And that's mm. when you you heard uh, Henry Lesser earlier, when he let Panzerum leave and then come back at nightfall. Mm-hmm. And then he got uh, the clap from that girl or whatever, yeah. that nurse. Yeah. He actually helped usher in that prison reform. Mm-hmm. I know we don't really care about it because we're not prisoners and I've never been to prison, you know, so it doesn't really. But apparently we used to beat the shit out of prisoners and now we don't. So there you go. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, that's my story on Panzerm. I know it was kind of light from what I could have did, but glad I got to do it. Glad I got to research that guy at least. Um, the next episode will be a taco special. So I look forward to that. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't. We release episodes every Tuesday and Fridays now. And Tuesday will be a taco special, a request from one of our members. And as we said earlier, we got a new Talkus Primo. Tess, thank you so much for joining. I've been doing a lot of requests lately, and the membership kind of goes like this. You go to talkmer.com slash join. You give me 47 of your hard-earned dollars. I will never charge you again. I don't do recurring fees, but I do bring you into my life forever. My And in our membership or our private Facebook group. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use if you like this story. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Talk Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out. All of the... 
shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate to you right here on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Nicole. And until next time, good night, you lovely, 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 lovely people. Maddie's believes nature is beautiful, majestic, serene. But human nature is inventive, intrepid, reckless. Nature says, look how many colors I can fit in a sunset. Human nature says, look how many hot wings I can fit in my mouth. But human nature needs nature. That's why there's Maddie's all-natural acid and indigestion relief. A drug-free remedy for human nature. Available at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal.